My name is Joe Witte. I'm an entrepreneur, veteran, father, and proud team member at Tag One. Thank you for joining our podcast, Getting Transparent, where we get to hear the stories with people who are making a difference in our food and natural product supply chain, find out what drives them, and how they're making this world just a little bit better. This is Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Getting Transparent. I'm excited to have James Rice, the CEO of Paradise Foods, with us, dialing in all the way from Papua New Guinea, also known as PNG. Before we get started with James, quick recap from last week. Uh, we were fortunate to have Kim Stuck, CEO from LA Cannabis Consulting, on with us. She shared some crazy insights uh, as a former uh, investigator in Denver County um, and some stories and gave one story on why she never walks in first into a room when she's doing an audit. So you have to listen into last week's podcast episode to understand that why. But this week, James Rice, great to have you. CEO of Paradise Food Company, international uh, CPG executive, joins us from Papua New Guinea. James, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So real quick, um, how in the world did you end up in Papua New Guinea? And and uh, give the listeners some description of what that island is like. Yeah, well, your listeners, just like me, when I got called for a job interview, I had to go Google this country because I didn't know where it was. And uh, now we're in, in the South Pacific, just north of uh, Australia, in between Indonesia and Tahiti. And uh, it looks like uh, Tahiti, so it's a it's a tropical country. And uh, sometimes it kind of looks like Gilligan's Island, <laughs> some of the places we, we travel to. And I was uh, found by a headhunter as the company was looking for a new CEO who had experience in a growing market. And most of my career had been in China, which is a growth market too. And so it was relevant to uh, the market here. And I came here almost two years ago to affect a, a change, sort of a big transition that they were doing to reorganize, restructure, and grow the business. Excellent. And, uh, you know, my mandate was to feed the people here and create mm-hmm. jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I want to get into, in a moment, you know, some of the, the mission and, and vision you have for Paradise Foods. But before we get to that, try to set the landscape for listeners. Like, what's the economy look like there? What's the current employment situation in, in, in PNG? Yeah, well, our economy is very small. This population is first is eight and a half billion, million people. Yep. So very small. It's just a small city in America. Uh, the GDP itself is $24 billion. So we as a country are smaller than a Fortune 500 company, a big Fortune 500 company. Hmm. Uh, the economy is growing about 4% a year, and unemployment is about 80%, 8-0. So uh, it's, it's a tough place to live. You know, on the other hand, uh, food is plentiful. The oceans are full of fish, uh, coconuts, bananas, uh, uh, cacao, and other things grow wildly on the sides of roads. I mean, right. food will fall on you. Right? Right. So people don't starve to death, but it's... Yeah, uh, you don't necessarily have a lot of money to spend. So are, are people basically having to create their own shelter using natural resources? And like you said, food's plentiful. So they got food, they got shelter, they got family. Um, is, is is that how they're, you know, how are they getting by with yeah, 80% so the, unemployment? The traditional uh, way of life still exists here that was the same a few hundred years ago. So they live in small villages. 
the homes are made out of grass and look exactly like what you and I saw on Gilligan's Island watching TV reruns as kids. Wow. Uh, they, live, they live in the, this kind of hut. Uh, they have s- small plot farms behind the house. And then they fish for, for fish that they eat, uh, that they catch you know, near their village. And then the village community sort of help each other. The money kind of pools mm-hmm. around us, kind of socialism in a way of a, you know, an old tribal way. And uh, that's how they live. So uh, these small village economies have, can go with no money. Or you have a few people with education that work in the city and have a job. Mm-hmm. They send money back or they bring things back. And when you have a job, that's a, a real golden ticket. And you are obliged to support your family and your village. So yep. my employees... Uh, on average, asking them would appear to support eight to twelve other people. Wow! Uh, once they have this here, so and, and how does that economic situation impact what you guys are doing as a company? Um, and you know, how does it impact the culture and the values that you guys are uh, are permeating at Paradise Foods? Well, it means that we're driven to have very low cost, but good quality products. Uh, the consumers here are well-educated. They speak English. This this is uh, part of uh, the, the the British system. So mm-hmm. we drive on the left-hand side and we speak English. The queen is the head of state. Uh, so we quality is important. They understand that. But price is really important too. So 70% of what we sell is sold at one kina, which is their dollar unit. And one kina is equivalent to 33 cents in the US. So you can imagine that price point we had, whether it's biscuits, ice cream, bottled water, these are the, the, the product lines we're in, is a, a 33 cent price point. Wow. Yeah, you don't see anything in uh, in the US for 33 cents. It might be like one peanut butter cup, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, or a stick of gum or something that's like right. that. Yeah, so that's, uh, you're really managing to a very, very different level. Uh, something else that's very different here, which is unique for me because I've worked in the U.S. and in China, where you're driven by new products and new innovations, new flavors. And here, absolutely do not. We have my most successful products have been the same thing for 45 years. You don't right. change the packaging. You don't change the price. You don't change anything. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I kind of joke that Papua New Guineans don't like surprises. But uh, <laughs> I know from consumer research it's not that, you know, like we sell mostly vanilla ice cream. We have a few other flavors. But mm-hmm. uh, from research I discovered, if you only have one Kina in your pocket and you're going to go buy an ice cream, you don't want to take a chance that your cappuccino swirl could be something really weird that you don't like. <laughs> you don't take a chance that you spent your last Kina on something you don't like. So you buy vanilla. And uh, you you this this business is not driven by product innovation, which is really unusual in the consumer products business. That is really interesting. I mean, I hadn't thought, you know, we, we caught up about a month ago about, um, you know, running a food company in Papua New Guinea, those dynamics about who your audience is, like, yes, you, you want to, you know, maintain, um, and take care of your current employees, but also who you're selling to their dynamic and their purchasing power is radically different from here in the U S. Um, now talk, Talk about how the company is owned, um, uh, publicly owned or, or owned um, in PNG, and what that means to that culture, um, and how that impacts your community as well. Yeah, the company itself is very old. We started in the 1930s, 
And uh, the bakery part, the cracker business part that we are in, started in 1945 using used leftover U.S. Navy ovens to, to make our crackers. And uh, we've evolved over these years to become the largest and oldest food company in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we're owned by the National Pension Fund. Uh, unlike the U.S., the pension fund in this country, like many other countries, is sort of a semi-private, you know, regulated thing. So 90% of our company is owned by the National Pension Fund of people who have salary jobs. And the other 10% of the company is owned by the pension fund of the military. So we are literally owned by the people of Papua New Guinea, mm -hmm. which is really good because I changed our advertising to sort of play on that. Uh, uh, obviously I'm a foreigner, but the company is not. Right. And, uh, you know, I really play on that, that roots, you know, and I say that we are, PNG owned, PNG made, PNG jobs is yep. the theme of our advertising. And I remind people when you reach for a product made by our company, mm -hmm. you're supporting jobs. And behind those jobs are people and families just like you. And uh, it really resonates to consumers because uh, we touch the lives of everybody and people realize that we're part of that. It's, uh, it's a company people are proud of. Uh, it's part of the everyday life of uh of you either eat our products, you see our products, or you are somehow a shareholder of the company. Sure. And, and you've done, um, put in an initiative to source as many ingredients as you can locally as well too, correct? Yes. And I, and I, I, I push a lot of other CEOs and, and government leaders to really start the same, the same thing. You know, I was shocked when I first arrived here and bought a, a can of salt for home and it said made with sea salt from Australia. And I said, why would a tropical country, South Pacific import sea salt from sure. another country? And realize that we just, we import all these things and we don't try very hard. So I have had a concerted effort in the last year and a half to localize everything. And I mean, that means uh, peanut butter that we used to make peanut, cook, peanut butter cookies. It used to come from Australia and now I buy from a little village near here. Mm -hmm. um, Vanilla flavoring used to come from New Zealand. Now it comes from a, another village from here. Uh, I had coffee flavoring for my cappuccino ice cream. And we, we produce great coffee beans in this country. So we make our own coffee now here to do that. So I've gradually knocked off one thing at a time. I have two really big projects. One is the plastic bottle of the bottled water. This manufacturer is going to move uh, from Malaysia to my factory, I'm going to, I given him a spot inside my factory and I'm charging him one Kina, you know, that yep. famous price point yep. uh, to manufacture there. And I say, I, I know I can't take all his volume so he can supply my competitors, but you know, I'm, I'm really moving nine jobs from Malaysia to this country. It's, it's a huge coup yep. and uh, it's worth my supply chain. It's great. And I've got another product now, project now with, for my labels, the labels of the water and of our biscuits are made in China. Mm -hmm. And uh, nobody here has the capability to make these high quality labels, but I'm doing a three-way thing with a bank and, and a, label, a packaging manufacturer and me, and I'm guaranteeing to the bank that I'll buy all of her volume if you, if they loan her the money to buy the machine that she can use to, to manufacture this. So we'll eventually get uh, these jobs and millions of dollars for the imports taken from China and brought here. And all of that, great success, good news for the country. And if one job supports 10 people, then it's an exponential help for everybody. You know, the, the, it must be um, 
must be rewarding to look at that component of innovation for what you're doing, knowing that one, like one job makes such a big difference. Is that a big driver for you and kind of get you going every day just to be like, you know, this is your passion is to, to more you know, than that, drive that really job. Is my passion. This is sort of the end of my career yeah. and financially can retire. I'm, I'm really, I'm here because this is an adventure and because I can make a difference. Yeah. And the biggest difference I can do here in this country is create jobs. And, and it's the only thing I can leave behind is, is jobs and a little bit of inspiration. Yeah. And so for me, I, I know that the board of directors measures me by top line sales and profit, but I measure myself by the number of jobs I've added in this company yeah. since I've been here. It's been, it's 130 jobs now. And when I'm done, I, I hope it's uh, over 300. And then I, so I have made an impact and I can go home happily. That's awesome. I, I know in the U.S. there's been uh, more focus on sustainability, um, fair wages. California has implemented their Prop 65 law, which is a requirement for, I think it's companies over $50 million. They have to know and understand the source of where different um, ingredients or products are sourced from. And they look very closely at coffee and, and, and cocoa as well. So it seems like more and more people are waking up to making sure that those farmers and harvesters and manufacturers are being paid fairly. Um, it, and I would imagine, of course, that that's important to you guys as well. Um, what are things that Americans can do um, what are some questions we should be asking before we buy a product? Or is there anything that, you know, certain listeners can, can do for Paradise Foods as well? Yeah, well, you, you can always turn on the back of the label and look at where it's made and who's making it. And I think that's, that's really important for you. Uh, but in the end, you have to trust that manufacturer that they are doing the right job to vet out who, who's supplying them. And I, I don't know, it's, it's going to be a tough one in America because your supply chains are so long and, you know, you're, you buy cooking oil in the U.S. and you don't know if it was somebody plowed down a rainforest in Malaysia to grow those or not. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's very hard to tell and you'd have to do a lot of research. It, it, and I'm not sure it's out there for us yet. Well, I mean, that's actually what, what has motivated you know, our founders and one of the key reasons why I joined Tag One, to be honest with you, is, you know, how do we build that um, provenance with products? And, and it all starts in the supply chain and why we have, you know, Tag One connect with the QR codes on products to see what's the source, what's the certificate of analysis, those type of things. So I think that the technology is coming along so that we that consumers can be aware and can scan a product and, and see where it came from. And there's new, you know, new initiatives with the FDA and their new era of smarter food. Granted, a lot of it's philosophy and companies yeah. have to implement it, but not see, just do here, bare I, minimum, you know? I have that challenge here because only 12% of the country has electricity. Right. So farmers that supply me don't have smartphones. So yep. we're all back there. I can't, I can't integrate like that, you know? Yep. Um, I, I have met and I do go to the farms that supply our cocoa beans to make mm-hmm. our chocolate. So I know that it's organic, it's sustainable, it's fair trade. You know, to some extent, if you buy our chocolate, you have to trust me. That's right. <laughs> okay, I don't advertise it. I have no way to certify it. And I, have, I don't have that chain. Yeah, and a modern country has that luxury. And here, uh, unfortunately, our country is too poor to do that. Right, right. Really interesting. So, so when, um, you know, when certain um, external corporations go into small countries, 
and you know source resources out of them and i know you guys are focused on fair wages you're you're focused on on building jobs have you seen kind of an, an inverse effect with other companies to where it can actually be more damaging to the economy than than good for the economy and and you know what yeah, are some things to be aware of in the- in the palm oil business, because this country is a big export of palm oil, and yep. that's good. This country has been very careful about not plowing down rainforests to plant right. palm oil. They only plant palm oil on uh, prairie land, so that that's good. Uh, but uh, one of the rules of palm oil is that you can't use child labor, and mm-hmm. theoretically, and I will agree with that. Uh, but what happens in these small villages where they collect the palm fruit is children will work after school to pick up palm on the ground uh, and, and and make a little bit of spending money for them. So that is illegal. So they they there's a lot of enforcement of these palm oil companies to make sure that these children don't ever do that, <laughs> which, which unfortunately knocks out a little bit of work ethic for kids and a little right. bit of source of spending money for kids. You know? Right. And, and they do it because some committee of old men in, in the UK has said, if you want to have a green frog on your label, you you can't have kids touch this. Right. And I actually think it's wrong. I mm. I uh, I grew up in California, but I spent the summers in Alabama, and I had to paint my grandfather's fences on his sure. farm and, and pick up stuff. Weeds. <laughs> yep. It's a part of growing up. So. Yeah, uh, that, that's know, interesting. I, I, it's, it's just funny that a committee in London smashed – uh, the life of a little village on a tropical island in the South yeah. Pacific. I mean, I think that goes to show boots on ground are most important, right? Like you have to be there and talk to people and understand exactly what is going on before we start to make policy. And I think oftentimes in the U.S. we've got, you know, like we're on our we're on our kind of our stool and 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 higher than thou, and, and you just have to be there. And so, I mean, you obviously boots on the ground, you see things from a different perspective from the lens of, of the locals. Um, how do you, how have you connected with your team and your employees? I mean, you're obviously an outsider, right? Um, what are some of your leadership methods in order to get them to follow you um, in, in order to and gain their trust um, as an outsider coming in to lead the company? Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, everybody has a different style. Mine is very personal. I walk their production floor every week and shake people's hands and talk to them. We do town hall meetings with employees. Um, I do a lot of training, a lot of personal interaction. I have four facilities, so I go around to them. They they see me a lot, so they're used to me. The other thing that's a little bit different is that this is a very Christian country mm-hmm. and uh, Christianity is a huge part of, of what goes on here. And I realized that when I got here and I thought this would be a great company to have a chaplain in. Mm-hmm. I'm the first private company to have a chaplain. Our government has chaplains. The military and police have chaplains. This is the first private company to have one. Mm-hmm. He came in uh, to work for me with great with a lot of fanfare uh, out in the media and with other employers. And so we have... Uh, we have constantly prayer services and little sessions all around the company. It's been great because it really is the second best benefit you can give employees after paying their salary. Uh, all my employees come early because they don't want to miss the pre-work prayer before going to. <laughs> and, you know, the other experts around town are saying, what? My employees don't come early. <laughs> but what I've been able to do is uh, 
I go around to different, uh, each de department has different days where they have these prayer sessions. And I actually go to the, these sessions, you know, the, like the engineering uh, session was uh, this morning. And so I go to the engineering department and, and go to their prayer session. And, mm -hmm. thing. and it's, it's only a 15 month thing, but uh, you know, my employees know that, like I'm the CEO that goes to the prayers with them. I don't talk at them. Right. <laughs> I don't right. issue big long memos. Uh, they actually see me in everyday life of something that's important to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's been huge. And, and, you know, social media says a lot of nice things about me, I guess. Mm, that's great. No, I think that the, the management by walking around, but even just, to, like you said, just listening to people and showing humility and being part of their culture can really break down the barriers, which is just that, so important. That did not happen here. Um, right. I'm considered quite a groundbreaking CEO here, and I don't think I am. I'm I'm American, and I, I if you were sitting here, uh, I think you'd be eighty percent the same as me. You know, part mm -hmm. of it is just our style. Uh, sure, the management walking around as American, being an extrovert is is sort of an American style too. Uh, but this was sort of used to that kind of old British colonial management sure. style, like suppose sure. uh, they used to. Uh, uh, that, you know, in fact, I had one employee right when I was first here, uh, probably my second month said, Oh, he says, Oh, you're so nice. I can't believe I, I haven't talked to you in three years. And I said, well, that wasn't me. That was, <laughs> that was the other CEO. <laughs> You'll see me more frequently. Yeah. So one of the prize ingredients in PNG is your cocoa and your chocolate. Talk a little bit about yeah. one of your uh, one of your products, the the Queen Emma chocolate, and and is that something you guys are, are hoping to uh, export and start uh, giving the rest of the world a chance to enjoy? Well, you're on a topic that gets me really excited. But we started to make well, yes, the country exports forty thousand tons of cocoa beans, and we make the best in the world. And manufacturers of chocolate know this; they buy mediocre beans from Central America and mm -hmm. from Africa. Mm -hmm. You buy really good beans from Papua New Guinea, and then you mix the two together, and you make okay chocolate. Got it. So about five years ago, we started to buy these beans and make our own chocolate. It's very hard to come up that learning curve. It's not easy to make great chocolate. Mm -hmm. And about a year ago, we hit a good rhythm where we can make some very good chocolate. But our factory is full. It's very small. We only do seven tons a month. That's not even a, a grain of sand in the in the chocolate world. Mm -hmm. uh, but I imagine that this is something I can export. You know, I'm not going to export these 33 cent biscuits <laughs> out to anybody. Right. But uh, our chocolate is fabulous. And in fact, it has different flavors depending on the provinces. If I come from Bougainville Island or New Britain I Island, uh, the, the flavors are just like wine from different regions mm -hmm. it's something really really and i have this great story of coming from a tropical island it's sustainable it's family farm mm -hmm. it's fair trade yeah it's everything yeah and it tastes great so yep. uh, I, I have a plan to build a new factory next year and to start exporting that to share that with you all i'm in and queen emma is a real person oh <laughs> who is she what's her story yeah well I have to tell you that I've been eating all of our chocolate, sampling this stuff, and so now I have what I call the COVID fifteen. It's the extra fifteen <laughs> pounds I gain. That's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so James, this has been good. We always close with what I call the transparent ten questions. All right, so they're kind of a quick fire shot. I don't put them out ahead of a time, 
And most people are surprised because they haven't listened to any of my previous podcasts before. So, so here we go. You ready? Okay. All right. For me. <laughs> Number one, what's your most proud achievement? Uh, hiring a chaplain here. I think that was a game changer for the community and for the company. Something you love to do. Ride motorcycles. All right. And well, I'm guessing that scuba diving is second? Yes. All right. Cut on my two hobbies. <laughs> something you hate to do. Oh, what do I hate to do? Wash dishes. All right. What's your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. And unfortunately, I'm in the chocolate business. That's right. Favorite band? Oingo Boingo. Nice. Does that date me? No, Danny Elfman. He's great. Uh, favorite movie? Yeah. My favorite movie is Hunt for Red October. Great. Favorite vacation? Cruises. Ooh, something you suck but at in business. I'm, island. I'm not sure I'm going to go on a cruise. <laughs> exactly. You don't really need to. You're at the destination, right? Yeah, Some... I think so. Where do you go on vacation after this? I know. Something you suck at in business. Firing people. It All terrifies right. me. I want to burst into tears. <laughs> something, you're, something you're great at in business. Uh, managing the media. Excellent. You know, and, the, yeah. What is your big, hairy, audacious vision for Paradise Foods? I want to double the business in three years. And we'll do that by two new factories, one chocolate, one cracker, and by buying a company. Love it. So, James, I want to thank you for joining us today on, on Getting Transparent. Uh, I love your mission. I love how you're investing in the people there, um, making a difference on the island, and um, and just keeping an eye on you to watching the great things that you guys are doing there. That's great. And we're going to see you here scuba diving next year? I sure hope so. That would be great. You have an intern available, okay. right? I'll, I, yeah, I, I, can live in, I can live in a grass hut. You know, I can do whatever you need me to do. I'll be there. You got it. All right. And you have a job tasting chocolate or ice cream? Oh, I'm down with that for sure. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay transparent. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Getting Transparent, brought to you by Tag One. Please subscribe to receive notifications for future episodes and visit us at www.tagone.com.